Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today and thank you for tuning in. A wonderful uh, Bible study today to love the Lord, your God. That's why we are here, to share the love of God with each other and to understand the love of God in our life. I would like to welcome the panel for this discussion and uh, Len, it's good to have you back with us. Well, thank you, Nick. I've um, missed being part of the Bible study, but there were certain things that had to be done, and here I am again. Hello, listeners. And Brenton, good to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. The sun's shining here in the southeast. We're looking forward to a good Bible study. Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Always a pleasure. Lija? Welcome to the program. Mm, thank you so much. I feel very grateful. And Will, thank you for preparing this uh, Bible study today and uh, facilitating. Welcome with us. Thank you, Nick. We've been dealing with the book of Deuteronomy and the way that the Lord related to his, uh, his people in the wilderness. And applying it to our lives today, I think it's important for us that's very central to our Christian life today, is to address our personal relationship with God. Of course, loyalty, devotion, and our response to heaven's overtures are all in the mix of our experience. Today, we wish to focus our attention on a principle that was shared by Moses to the Israelites in the wilderness, and it's found in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And dealing with a topic like this, I believe we should first pray. Then would you pray for us, please? Of course. Would you like to join us, listeners? Our dear, merciful, loving Heavenly Father, today we look at a subject which is of utmost importance the love that you have for your people and the love which we can return to you. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word and our listeners listen, that the Holy Spirit might inspire each of us to come closer to you and to love you as we should. So we thank you and invite the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lynn. The people who have been led through the wilderness are now on the very border of the promised land, and Moses has some special instruction for them, as he could not go with them into Canaan, as we know. But he wants to give them life-important uh, guidelines necessary to making them a great nation in the land that God had given them. You know, our attention is immediately drawn to the opening line of the first of three speeches that Moses gave to the children of Israel, preparing them for the exemplary life in the new land of inheritance. That opening line is called in the Jewish, in the Hebrew, the Shema. Uh, let's unpack what that means. Brenton, could you help us? Well, it's um, the way it reads, Will, I'll read it just so that we understand. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, our lesson is entitled to love the Lord your God. In order to understand what Moses is telling them, because as we go through the lesson further on, Will, as you know, the word obey and obedience seems to crop up again and again and again. Uh, one could get the impression that it's a totally legalistic thing, but he is actually inviting them here to love the Lord the God on, on a basis. And the basis was found in Exodus 19 verse 4 where he says, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The brought you to myself bit is the bit that's vitally important for our study today, for ourselves and our listeners. It simply means an intimate, a most intimate relationship. It's similar to a marriage. And this, um, the Lord our God, is one. We need to be a little careful there. As, as Trinitarians, we believe it's referring to one God, but the word ekad, E-C-H-A-D, is also found in Genesis 2.24, where it talks about a man leaving his father and mother and being united to his wife, and the two become one. You also get another example in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 37, verse 16 to 26 where it talks about taking a stick for Judah and a stick for Israel and uniting them together and the two become one. It's it's a unity of purpose, a unity of desire, a unity of focus. And Israel were to be constantly reminded in everything that they did that unlike the pagan gods around them, the God that they served, the three-in-one God, he was alone worthy of their worship. And the basis for it was not obedience. The basis for it was his amazing love for them and the fact that he had done everything for them till now and he wanted them to enter into a relationship where he could continue to do everything for them with their consent. Len? Here's just a short comment on the Godhead. Brenton said the three-in-one God. And I accept that wholeheartedly. Um, once upon a time, and I'm not sure if it's still in the, on the market, there was an oil called three in one. It yes. was, yeah, there was useful with, uh, for cleaning and so on, but it consisted of three products which were combined into the one. And you've referred to it as the three in one oil. And I think this is probably a good comparison or a description of the nature and the formation of the Godhead. Nick? And just to continue on that uh, one, um, I believe uh, as we looked at this um, verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word there, Elohim, it's also used, which is a plural form. Now, also, Lord, when it's used that one, that refers to a singular one also, which in this context, we may understand that the people of Israel, they understood the difference here. And we are probably not going to talk that uh, right now, but Jesus was recognized there. When you talk about Elohim in the plural form, they understood 
and Job, for example, he makes references to uh, Jesus Christ. And there are other parts in the Bible. This is very interesting to understand that when we talk about God, that's uh, not that there is only one person. And many people say you are worshiping other gods because you are Trinitarians, for example. That's not true at all. When we refer to God, is the working together of these three persons, if you like, with their attributes. It's interesting that uh, when the Hebrew people prayed that line, the Shema, which means hero Israel, the Lord your God is the Lord is one. They say that the Jews prayed it when they prayed it, they covered their eyes. Yeah. Uh, the idea being to let nothing distract them from thinking about God. I like, I like that, that honesty and that respect that was shown to our, the Almighty. Now we find ourselves Moses recounting, um, to the children of Israel their history. He begins by giving them instructions on what they were to do in order to take the land and to thrive on it. Indeed, one could argue that the whole, the whole of Deuteronomy was simply that. The Lord telling these people how to, how they needed to conduct themselves in order to keep up their end of the covenant. The covenant which God graciously made with them in fulfilling his promise to their fathers. Now his clear injunction uh, is started off in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And um, I'd like to, to introduce us to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Joe. Yes, Will. Um, Deuteronomy 6 is introduced with, um, now this is the commandment. Uh, we need to keep in mind what was said in Deuteronomy 5, because we know that Moses restates, if you like, um, or declares the law given on Mount Sinai. He reminds them of what their fathers had agreed to. And it might be worth noting particularly verse 3 of chapter 5. I know we're backtracking a little bit, but it forms a foundation. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. And so this covenant, and this refers to, this gives us the context for chapter 6, because what is he referring to? He's referring to the commandments. This is the commandment, not something that comes ahead, you know, but something that's already been stated. And so Moses emphasizes the relevance to the present of what he was about to say to them. It wasn't something that had expired, no longer relevant. Um, and, of course, as we know, he declares the Ten Commandments. Um, this gives us the context. Um, and with this in mind, Chapter 6 begins with, now this is the commandment. Okay, so this is what he's referring to. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Yeah. Now, the striking points are not that they were just to know about it, to remember it, to be able to recite it, sing about it, praise its value and virtues, which we're all good at, but they're admonished to observe them, that they may do them, that there is an injunction here, if you like, to obey, to follow, to adhere to. So I think it's um, something to keep in mind. 
I think we've got a uh, situation uh, here, Will. Joe touched on it pretty well when she read Deuteronomy 5, verse 3, that this covenant God is making is with us, not with our fathers. There is a reason for God stating that or Moses stating that as a result of his relationship with God. Every single person other than Joshua and Caleb, as far as we know, by now, were dead. They're about to enter the promised land. That generation had all perished in the wilderness. God is restating his covenant with them again. And I think Moses is trying to get a point across, Will, just as we do as parents sometimes, when we sometimes have to go through history with our children to remind them of what happened last time when you did such and such and such and such. We sometimes do that. I think he's trying to remind them, don't make the same mistakes that your parents and your grandparents made. Don't make those mistakes. God wants to take you into the promised land. He is going to take you into the promised land. But he himself said that your fathers broke their covenant with him. Don't you do the same thing. I want you to have this relationship that they never entered into. That's the relationship I want to have with you. And he says the same thing to us today. He has the same principle. I mean, this has to have an application. It's not just theory. It has to have an application to not only ourselves as panel, but also to our listeners. God wants to enter into a covenant relationship with you, but it's only on the basis of love because you understand God. And the closer you come to God, the more loving you will find God, but the more loving you will become because his love will be, as it were, it'll permeate into your own heart and life. And people will see that you've been with Jesus. I don't think it's just Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where Peter and John were perceived as having been with Jesus. I think this is the relationship will God wants with us and also with our listeners today. Valuable words, that's those, uh, Brenton, true. You know, what follows now is uh, the Lord's instructions to faithfully follow his statutes and commandments, though this is uh, something that there is something that is a catalyst to faithful commandment keeping, and um, perhaps one of you would like to comment on that. The proper basis of commandment keeping, of course, is love. Now, we know that God loves us, but uh, this is talking about loving God in return. Now, some people say that the Old Testament is of no value, that we live in New Testament times. Well, they fail to recognize that the Old Testament appears in the New Testament many times. Jesus himself quoted this that uh, we're talking about in Deuteronomy 6. What uh, it says in Deuteronomy is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, without any reserve. A good friend of mine said, God should be the first, last, and best in everything in our lives. Now, of course, Jesus quoted this same verse. Uh, it appears in Matthew and Mark, but I'll read from Matthew chapter 23, 22 rather, and verse 37, when he was asked by a teacher of the law, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he says, This is the first and greatest commandment. And he added, And the second is like it, Love your neighbour as yourself. And then he said, All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Mm. Now, as far as Jesus is concerned, it's a command, not just a suggestion. And you um, have to ask yourself, well, if God commands people to love him, on what basis should we love him? Well, there's a text in, I think it's in First John 4, we love God because he first loved us. When we appreciate what God is and has done, it uh, evokes a loving response. And how is that response shown? It's shown by the fact that we obey what he says we should do. So this is really good. I'd just like to say this yet. The Lord wants each one of us, though part of a larger body, to be faithful to him individually. And the foundation of that faithfulness should be our love for him, who he is, and what he's done for us. Very beautiful um, uh, passage uh, land there in uh, chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And uh, as you mentioned, verse 5, to love your God with all your heart, all your mind, with everything, you know. But verse 4 uh, we refer to that a uh, couple of times now. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I would like to make a parallel here with Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You may uh, recount that when the invitation is, Behold, I am at the door. Now, what I would like to say here in this context, even though, Len, you mentioned that this is a command, I would like to say also that this is an invitation from God. And in, uh, in Revelation 3.20, I think it's English Standard Version, it says, listen, I'm at the door. It's to draw attention of the people, what God wants to offer. In this case, the love of God it's shown to us all, even before Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. All through the history of this world, the love of God is shown. But it's an invitation for us all. In, as uh, Will, you pointed out so well, that the Israelites, they have this phrase when they pray to God, you know, covering their eyes and says, here. I mean, oh, they repeat this one, here, O Israel. I like to make this parallel. That's an invitation from God. Because people are um, taking differently when they say, oh, that's a command from God. Even though the commandments of God are good for us. <laughs> but we have that negative approach. We say, oh, it's a command and it's my free choice. Yes, it's your free choice to accept the love of God in your life. You know, loving God with all your heart and your soul and your strength means to me that our love for him should be supreme. 
over our love for everything and everyone else. Would you agree? Because he is the foundation and uh, the ground of all of our being and existence. Love for him should put our love for everything else in proper perspective. Before you answer, I just thought of something. I I think it's important for me to clarify that love to God, um, that to love God more than everybody else does not suggest, of course, that diminishing of uh, or the neglecting of uh, our love for other people, especially family. You know, an example of this, God still calls us to love and honor our parents. It's the fifth commandment. Jesus confronted the Pharisees, you recall, on this point. You see, they taught that the people, that the devotion of their money and their property to the temple was a duty more sacred than even the support of their parents. And so a Jew, by pronouncing the word korban over their property, thus devoting it to God, could retain it, notice, retain it for his own use during his lifetime, then after his death, that would be appropriated to the temple service, the detriment of his parents. Thus, he was at liberty, both in life and death, to dishonor and defraud his parents under cover of a pretended devotion to God. God does not call upon us to love him. Well, he calls upon us to love him more than everybody else, but our love should just grow for God and not neglect are those people around us. What do you think? Good, good thoughts, Will. What you said, Will, is very true. However, in loving God supremely and putting God first in our affections, it does not in any way detract from our love for others. In fact, when we get our priorities right, it will only enhance our relationships with other people. So in a sense, it multiplies. So it's not like, I love God supremely, therefore I have less time and less affection for other people that surround me. Loving God, putting him right at the front there as the object of my supreme affections, which I cannot do myself, God enables me to do so, will only flow out in more love for others, more concern for others. Um, And so I would be more Christ-like, if you like, in that, that he cared and loved other people. And it just came in my mind that uh, a bit of illustration may not be the best one, but if you go fishing, you have to put the bite first. Either. Otherwise, what's the point of fishing? You know, uh, you may not catch anything. If we are in a relationship with God and put him first and love God first, the rest of it will follow, as you just pointed out there. And I believe that's the um, issue with us all, that uh, we are focusing on our own personal needs, relationship, and all those things, and we're struggling to show that love and to manifest that because we don't have a connection with God, who is love, who's the source of uh, love. And if we have that connection with God very well, then I believe everything will just flow. It was mentioned before by both Joe and Will, and quite appropriately, that we don't love God at the expense of loving our family or anybody else. It seems very much to me there are plenty of people who love their families, love their children, love their parents. That's good. But it also seems to me 
that love has a broader dimension than just loving people, uh, perhaps relatives or partners and so on. Love has a greater dimension than that, that the love of God, as has already been explained, expands the love that we have for other people. I'm on a bit of a quandary in this one, Will. Um, We've talked a lot about loving God and loving one another here today. I'm trying to put it in simple uh, language that we all understand. Um, When I fell in love with my wife, or she wasn't my wife at that time, I think of reasons as to why I fell in love with her. It was her personality, and there were certain things in her personality that I felt that I lacked. And I believe a marriage is an interesting uh, situation that God has placed on the human race because we are actually there to complement one another rather than compete with one another. Now, when we're told to love God, and we're coming to the fear bit in a minute, everything we have comes from God. So therefore, in order to love God effectively, what has God got that we haven't got? He's got everything. What can we offer to God? We can only offer our hearts, basically, our minds, uh, followed by our actions. So I think what God is looking for when he's telling Israel to love the Lord your God with all your heart is if you really put me supremely first in your heart and your life, your character above all things will reflect what God's love really is because really that is all that we have. We know from some inspired statements that we have read probably on this air in the past that the only thing that we will take to heaven is our character. It's not our house or our car or our possessions. It's our character. So therefore, in order to love God supremely, we must have God's character reflected in us. And you get an example of that with Enoch, who walked with God and walked right on into heaven eventually because it says he was not because God took him, Elijah, and Moses, who, even though he died, was raised and taken to to heaven. So what's the message for today? In order to love God supremely and in order to reflect God's love to others, we have to fully surrender ourselves to him in order that his character may be reproduced in us. He won't do that without our permission, but with our permission, I believe it's possible, and I believe for our listeners it's possible to reflect God. And this world is getting darker and darker. Let's be honest, I'm talking spiritually. If ever there was a time where God's love needs to shine, it's today. Thank you, Brenton. Yes, that's that's very central to the thought of loving God. I like to think that God's love can so permeate our being that we could get to the stage with God's help that we could love even our enemies, as Jesus yes. says, and yes. those that despitefully use us. I think we've got a lot to learn about love, folks. We've got a lot of growing to do with regard to love as well. But there's another part of the uh, counsel of um, Moses to Israel. Moses told the children of Israel, of course, to love God with all they had, and that was a command. However, a few verses earlier, Moses gives them the command that uh, Joe had read for us in Deuteronomy 6, 
that you may fear the Lord your God. Moses' instruction to the children of Israel is merged very nicely in a single text as we read it uh, in Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And um, I wonder if you could take that up with us, uh, Brenton, with your comments. Sure. It says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Most people would find it incongruous, I guess, Will, that the word fear and love can be uh, actually said in the same sentence. I'm immediately thinking of a text. I think it's in First uh, John 4, around about verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. But that's talking about a different type of fear. I believe the fear that uh, Moses is referring to here is an awe, uh, to hold God in awe and respect because of, number one, who he is, number two, what he has done, and number three, what he continues to do. In other words, they were to get a bigger picture of God, I think, than they had at that particular time. I believe that uh, the fear that it's talking about is not a trembling. It's not the fear associated with judgment. Even though, isn't it interesting, Len touched on it earlier on, so many people see the God of the Old Testament as a negative God, as a, a tyrant almost, someone that you couldn't possibly love in, in any degree, and yet... Here Moses is telling them to, first of all, to fear God, to respect God for who he is and what he has done and what he continues to do. Notice the order. Fear the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve him. If you fear God, in other words, with the right reverential awe and walk in his obedience, the love will come. The love will grow. The love is already there, but the love will develop as you understand more and more of God's character as he's revealed it to us. And you can think of the book of Hosea. You can think of other Old Testament scriptures where God talks about his relationship with his people as being like a husband and wife. And he says, you've been an unfaithful wife. You've been a harlot. You've been a prostitute. You have not been faithful to me. I believe that even though that was in the future, uh, Moses is trying to to get the priority right. In order to love God, you must fear him in the sense of reverential awe, in the sense of he has made everything, he has brought us to where we are to date, and he's about to take us into the promised land. That's the basis upon which you are to love him. I mean, why would you not want to love him? Because of that. Otherwise, they'd still be back in Egypt making bricks of mud and straw. So, <laughs> so I, I, I think if you look at it from a bigger perspective, you realise that the order in which he's given it, fear God, walk in obedience to him, to love him and to serve him with all your heart and your mind. Soul, you ask yourself the, the question, what's not to like here? What's not to do? <laughs> well put, uh, Brenton. <laughs> For what you've just said, Brenton, and uh, what and everyone has said so far, perhaps uh, we could expand on what it means to you personally in your faith practice from day to day to love God and uh, to love him with all your heart and soul and might. What does that mean to you in your daily life? Lydia. First of all, you cannot love someone which you don't know. The Lord God invited Israelites to love him just before they 
started their journey and uh, they God called them to love him because beforehand they had a relationship together. So God showed his love towards them in many, many ways. And they knew God. They experienced God. And God extended this invitation to them, love me. Otherwise, we cannot be in a relationship. So by loving me, our relationship will develop and we flourish and will expand. So loving God, it means we have a stronger relationship with him. Having a, a, relation, a stronger relationship with God to love, it expands that love in us to love others around because the only one, the only love that comes, comes from God. Love doesn't exist anywhere else, only in God. I think that's a very tall order to love God with all your heart and soul and might. And such a, such an invitation will makes me realize how inadequate my own hold on God and love for God is. You know, all your heart, all your mind, it's a struggle to even understand what that is and how can it be possible. Yet we are told that he loved us first, as you, someone's already mentioned. And when I think of that, I realize that he loves me with something more than I can comprehend because most of our human love is conditional. You treat me nice, I like you. Most of what we experience in life is a conditional love, but we know that God loves unconditionally. So nothing that I or you can do or have done shocks God. God has seen it all and more, yet he says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So he is drawing me with loving kindness and tender concern no matter what. And when I realize this, I cannot help but be humbled and fear and, and stand in wonder at his majesty and and stand in awe of his greatness. And this evokes a love response. Jesus says that those who have been, been forgiven much love much. You know that story. And maybe when I become more conscious of how much I have been forgiven, that I too could love more. That's that's my own personal take on this. We echo that, Joe, for sure. Len? I would like to suggest that a one-way love is not really accomplishing much. It's when there's a response that that love accomplishes something. When I was a student, I used to uh, take a bus from Wayville to Wattle Park, and on the bus was this beautiful girl. Her name was Beverly, and um, I guess I I fell in love with her without really trying very hard. In fact, I even wrote a poem about her, and I, the first line of it goes, Oh, Beverly, how you tug at my heartstrings. But she never knew I loved her. <laughs> well, <laughs> so she didn't, didn't respond. If she's but, listening, you could, uh, she knows now. Right? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> well, anyhow, I, uh, I recognize God's love for me because I have not been a perfect person in my life, and I doubt if there are too many who can say they have been. But when I realize what God has done for me, particularly in as much as Jesus gave his life for mine, his worthy life for my unworthy life, 
that evokes a response from me. I want to serve him. I want to do his will. And I want to be a good influence amongst other people. I would like to add to this. For me personally, Will and Panel, to love God means, I mean, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It means also sacrifice. Because when you think about Jesus, because he loved us so much that he sacrificed himself for us. Now, if we don't understand this, if we think that love is just something which we can do easily, it's love and it's nice and it's good, uh, we may miss out of the real love. Because if we love God fully, we will sacrifice. And in my case, when I chose to love God and follow him, I lost my job. I lost many of my friends at that time. I lost many things. But, you know, the love for God was far more important than what I lose. That's why in the Bible says that when you give your life, then you receive. You know, for us, it's important to understand that when we choose to love God, is not that we choose in between two things. Let's say we lose this or that. No, sacrifice comes in place, even if you like it or not. We cannot love God and mammon at the same time, for example, Bible says, or many other things. That's my own experience. I experienced sacrifice when I chose to love God. Yes, Brandon. I think we'll, um, I would put it this way. When I was a young person, I probably tended to see God certainly as an awesome God, but probably more in a master-servant type scenario because um, we were taught, you know, that God is holy and, and all the rest of it. And learning to love God has been a developmental experience for me. I would recommend um, the text in um, John chapter 15, verse, I think it is verse 14, where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Now, he said, the reason I call you friends is because I have revealed everything that the Father has given to me. Can I suggest not only for ourselves as panel members, but also for our listeners who will be listening to this program, get hold of a book called The Desire of Ages. Read the chapters specifically regarding uh, Gethsemane in Pilate's Judgment Hall and Calvary. Read them once and read them over and over, these these chapters. I found they've drawn me closer to the Lord than anything that I've done for a very long time. They actually help you to understand the wonderful love of God and how even Jesus was pleading with the Father to take away the cup that he was about to drink, that if it was necessary to drink it, uh, that your will be done. I believe in reading those um, chapters it will soften our hearts. And in softening our hearts, it will, it will help to develop our love for God. It's certainly done that for me. No, Brenton, that book has meant a lot to me too. The book Desire of Ages as well as uh, the book Steps to Christ by the same author. I would uh, highly recommend them as well. Ledger? 
I would like also to add the fact that loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul and all my strength, it's, as we mentioned before, it's a supreme, absolute love. And if I love God with all my entire being, it means that I will love my neighbor. I will love the others around me because loving God and not loving my neighbor, it's a lie. God's divine love into my heart, it will expand for others. So true, so true. You know, fast-tracking to today, modern times, uh, in the context of the plan of salvation, fearing and loving seems to be a comfortable fit for us in these days. Now, all these years later, we have the benefit of hindsight as well. We soon realize that there is a lot that those pilgrims, those Israelites in the wilderness, didn't know, Um, the knowledge of which today can boost our Christian lives. I wonder if we could elaborate a little more on what loving and fearing means in the um, Christian life as compared to the experience of the Israelites. Len. We have a perhaps a good foundation for thinking about this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10. This was written by the Apostle Paul, and he has a comparison. He talks about people who are dead. This is a kind of a metaphor. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is basically, he was saying, following Satan. And then he um, makes a uh, contrast with dead, and he talks about alive. And I'll pick it up in verse 4 where he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And then he says, it's by the grace that you have been saved. And these are beautiful verses Uh, going on a little bit. He says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here he's talking about people who are dead because they have no future, because they're serving themselves and serving their master Satan. But when we allow Christ into our lives, we become alive. All right, now he goes on quite a bit, but we're going to be talking about loving and fearing God. There are two aspects of this love. We love him because he loved us. It's our response. But what does it mean to fear him? What does fear mean? Does it mean to be scared of? Or does it have another meaning? I believe it has another meaning, which means 
to be in awe of God, to respect him, to hold him in the highest esteem. The question is, why should we fear God? We, we've answered the question why we should love God because he loved us, but why should we fear him? Well, when we think of ourselves as created beings, we think of God as the creator. We can appreciate the power, the intelligence, and everything that God is because his creation is marvellous. I can't accept for one second the theory of evolution that things made themselves. That's a load of baloney, and I'm prepared to defend that statement because it's just a totally impractical idea. But when we uh, understand that God is creator, we can fear him. We can fear him, that is, hold him in respect, because he is truly holy. We are unholy, but God is truly holy. What a standard God sets for his followers. And then we can fear him because he showers us with blessings. In the morning when my wife and I have worshipped, we thank God for allowing us to open our eyes to live another day. We recognise it is only because he allows it that we are alive. And one other thing I'd like to point out about fearing God is that he is a God of justice. With God, he doesn't do dirty dealings. He is straightforward. He tells us what's what and what's not, and we can trust him. So fear in this sense means to respect, to hold in awe, to appreciate who God is, and then we see the aspect of how he relates to us. I actually am glad that the word fear is used in in that verse um, simply because it gives us, as you've mentioned, a healthy respect, a humble reverence. Now, we sometimes give God lip service and, yes, we reverence him, but our lives, or, you know, we say we reverence him, but our lives can say something else. And we could be taking God for granted, uh, being presumptuous, blasé in his presence. We bring him down to our level. You know, sometimes we forget that he isn't our peer, our pal, while he is our heavenly father. Sometimes we can be disrespectful to God. And sometimes I think, you know, this idea of once saved, always saved, no matter what I do, is a form of disrespect that I think yes. God is trying to speak to us through this verse that love God and fear him, and there's a balance there, um, I think, which you have already alluded to, Len. It's worth keeping in mind. I, I think um, really what Joe and Len have said sums it up pretty well. But we, we need to remember one thing, Will, and that is that God has not revealed everything about himself to us. He's revealed enough to elicit our love. Now, what are we going to be doing through the ceaseless ages of eternity? I believe we're going to be learning more and more about the plan of salvation. We don't know all about the plan of salvation now. We know enough to be saved. We know enough to have a relationship with God. 
we know enough to become a friend of God, to be his children in the truest sense of the word, but we don't know all about the plan of salvation. So when you consider all of those things overall, our love for God is only going to grow. When we see Jesus face to face and when we're in heaven with him and then ultimately back here on a remade and recreated earth, we will be learning about the plan of salvation through the ceaseless ages of eternity. I don't know. We don't know of any story or any narrative that doesn't have an end <laughs> in our in our simple lives that we live. Everything has a beginning and everything has an end. But to be studying the plan of redemption throughout eternity blows the mind. But that's basically what we will be doing. So therefore, our love for God is going to only continue to grow. It'll mature, it'll deepen, and it'll, I believe, the awe and the respect that Len talked about will become more and more evident. I love the thought, uh, Brenton, of our learning to love God more and more through the ceaseless ages of eternity. And we'll never, we'll never reach the 100%, as it were. <laughs> uh, we'll learn to love him more and more. Yes. And why do we love God? Uh, the Bible, the New Testament says we love him because he first loved us. God's love for us predated even our existence in that the plan of salvation was in place before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says. Um, Lydia Perhaps you could read us a beautiful statement from uh, the book Desire of Ages that uh, Brenton has, uh, has referred to. The plan for our redemption was not an afterthought, a plan formulated after the fall of Adam. It was a revelation of the mystery which had been kept in silence through times eternal. It was an unfolding of the principles that from eternal ages have been the foundation of God's throne. I would like to add to this that how fortunate we are that God is indeed a God of love, a God that he is sharing his divine love so great that he went to the cross for us, a self-sacrificing love in which he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. We see that Israel as a nation of whole was uh, called to love God. This is something that could only happen individually, though, as a single human being, giving a free will. Each Israelite had to make the choice to love God. And they were to show that love through obedience. And so I'd like to ask the question, introspectively, why do we keep his commandments? Is it a draconian and forceful requirement of the Christian life? No. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Little wonder then that Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Considering what God has done for us, panel and listener, surely it would lead to obedience and stir up a loving and grateful response for the profound, yes, I might say amazing plan of salvation. 
It's amazing grace indeed. What do you say, Len? I'd like to say this. We obey through perhaps one of three reasons. Number one, because we're forced to obey, like prisoners of war. The second thing, we may obey someone because there are personal gains or personal interests involved. And then the thing that we're talking about today is that we obey because we love God in appreciation for his love to us. Now, I'm going to read a quote from E.G. White from the book Great Controversy, which I really recommend you readers read. And it's from pages 651 and 652. The cross of Christ will be the science and the song of the redeemed through all eternity. In Christ glorified, they will behold Christ crucified. Never will it be forgotten that he whose power created and upheld the unnumbered worlds through the vast realms of space, the beloved of God, the majesty of heaven, he whom cherub and shining seraph delighted to adore, humbled himself to uplift fallen man, that he bore the guilt and shame of sin and the hiding of his father's face till the woes of a lost world broke his heart and crushed out his life on Calvary's cross. That the maker of all worlds, the arbiter of all destinies, should lay aside his glory and humiliate himself from love to man will ever excite the wonder and adoration of the universe. As the nations of the saved look upon their Redeemer and behold the eternal glory of the Father shining in his countenance, as they behold his throne, which is from everlasting to everlasting, and know that his kingdom was to have no end, they break forth in rapturous song, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and has redeemed us to God by his own most precious blood. This is lovely, that throughout the ages of eternity, that we will constantly give praise to Jesus for what he did for us. That's what I wanted to share with you. Thank you, Len. And you know, I believe not only throughout eternity, but right now, even in this life, I think his love demands a response. And I'm going to ask uh, Joe to pray, to pray that uh, in both the panel's hearts and in the listeners' hearts, there will be a response of praise and glory and deep gratitude for what God has done yes, for us. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Father, we know how much you love us. Your word tells us. We sometimes forget, Father, we do not need to fear that we have messed up too much or we're too far gone beyond salvation. You who have poured out all of heaven to restore all that was lost, you knew ahead of time what we are, what we would do, and you loved us then and you love us now. Your love is unchanging. 
and unchangeable. Continue to draw us with your eternal loving kindness, your everlasting love. Help us to love you and humbly revere you as we follow and obey you. Born of a sincere gratefulness and appreciation of who you are, your splendor, majesty and goodness which escapes words. Keep all who look to you in hope. Close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. Uh, we could have uh, go uh, far much more into this to talk about the love of God. But we are inviting you also to join us back again when we are going to talk a little bit more how to love our neighbor, uh, the stranger in your um, gates. And uh, please join us and we'll learn how to show the love of God to us and share it to others. Until then, may God richly bless you and walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus.